The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Welcome to The Counter. We got Damian Woody this week, and it is a fantastic interview. Uh, former Pro Bowl offensive lineman, won a couple of Super Bowls with the Patriots. He's actually stopping by to talk about the Jets and the Sam Darnold trade. Uh, it's a fantastic conversation. Stick around for that. I'm Chris Corman, joined by Stephen Ruiz and Charles McDonald. We cover the NFL for For the Win, and uh, we're here to talk about whatever's going on in the league. Guys, what's going on? I'm I'm broken, <laughs> just <laughs> mentally broken. Steven is a Panthers fan. I don't know if we've mentioned that in our 80 episodes of the Counter or whatever it is, but I'm I'm kind of a Panthers fan. I'm, it's <laughs> it's fading. I'm, I'm a Panthers fan in that I I tolerate them more than the other 31 teams. I hate them less than the other than I hate. Them no, I actually teams. think you hate them more. Yeah, and that's why you're a fan. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. Yeah. Like that's like I I look at uh, like the hopelessly optimistic fans, and I'm just like, how do you live with yourself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm from Philadelphia, so I have no idea what that feeling is like. Like uh, sports is purely about uh, feeling terrible when you're when you grow up in Philly. So, uh, but I, I mean, I noticed you fighting with people who are. Uh, feeling optimistic about Sam Darnold and and Woody is one of those people like we're going to get to that he he feels like Sam Darnold can turn this around uh, and then we're also going to let Steven discuss his quite thorough investigation into why why there should be no hope um, yeah so see I, I feel like Steven is kind of at a point like my like our origin stories of our fandom are very similar because like I the first team that I ever fell in love with actually was that 2000 Baltimore Ravens team, and then oh, yeah. the next year, Michael Vick came into the league, and I was like, as a seven year old, like this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. So I'm gonna root for the Falcons now. And then it's kind of like you know, there's a whole generation of Panthers fans that are fans because of Cam Newton. Now the difference is when Michael Vick left the Falcons, we only had one year of misery before we had Matt Ryan back in the fold. <laughs> I don't know how long the show will be with Panthers. Like it's a, it's not quite exactly the same in the the post fun quarterback year. So we'll see what happens. I wouldn't be surprised if Steve is kind of off this narcotic in two years. <laughs> like I like I've said to uh, other Panthers fans about Teddy Bridgewater. It's all like I love Teddy. Everyone everyone loves Teddy, right? Like. Right. Everyone loves who he is. The person. But yeah. it's all fun and games until he's your quarterback. And then you're like, all right, this isn't so fun. <laughs> what? Well, uh, now you got Sam Darnold. So. And that's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're gonna, we'll dig in on that uh, a little bit later. We're also going to talk about the little Twitter kerfuffle that popped up with uh, the Bengals selection and whether they are better off drafting a lineman to protect Joe Burrow or a wide receiver to catch balls from Joe Burrow. Uh, so we're going to sort of wade into that debate in general, uh, which which one we think is more helpful. Not that there's a very clear answer because it's football and it's complicated. Uh, but we want to start with, uh, we have not addressed the Des- Deshaun Watson situation. Uh, you know, we have, we have talked a ton about Deshaun Watson on this podcast as a sublime football player. Uh, we there's we are huge Deshaun Watson football player fans, uh, but I 
uh, I'm not going to speak for you guys, but I don't care if I ever see Deshaun Watson play football again. Uh, the uh, these these are just accusations at this point. Obviously, Deshaun Watson is presumed innocent until proven guilty. But what we know, uh, what what has come out so far, the preponderance of of uh, you know uh, body workers and and the people that he is is employed. Uh, the, I think the number is up to twenty two that have filed civil suit. The Houston Police Department is now investigating. Um, his actions he is losing sponsorship deals uh it it looks really bad and if you watched the press conference with um one of the uh one of the the women came forward ashley solis was the first one on tuesday came forward and uh, explained his actions um you know uh we, like I said, we've talked about Deshaun Watson as a football player, and I think we all thought that he was a decent person too. Uh, but I, I know that I wrote in probably 1999, 2000, I don't know about Jerry Sandusky being a good person. Uh, you know, that was in, he cultivated that, uh, that image for a long time to hide his predatory behavior. Uh, and, what we're hearing about Deshaun Watson so far is it's hard to shake. Uh, it's really, really awful. Yeah. I mean, I was, uh, I guess just to pull curtains behind the, what, what we talk about on a daily basis. I was talking to a good buddy, uh, Patrick Claybon the other day, and I was telling him, I was like, man, like I feel kind of disappointed in myself in a way that I could get kind of swept up in, the image of a guy and like the first thought when I hear these, you know, the allegations for the first one, it's like, Oh man, like no way. Like the Sean Watson, like he would do that. You know, he comes across as this really good guy. And, you know, I guess covering football for, you know, almost six, seven years now, I, I probably should have known a little better, but then Patrick made a good point to me. He was like, you know, like you shouldn't feel too bad if you're someone that, believe that Deshaun Watson was someone that couldn't do this because at the information you had at the time made it seem like he, there's no way he could do something like this. And you just kind of have to adjust your information, your opinion of things as new information comes out. And I don't understand really how anyone could be defending Deshaun Watson right now based on what we know. I mean, we're talking about 22 civil cases. And based on what we know, it's not like women – like they don't do this for 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 shits and giggles for last for lack of a better term. Like it's not something that they just wake up and decide like, oh, you know what? I'm going to extort Deshaun Watson today of all people. You know, one of the most powerful people in the city of Houston, someone who's donated time and money to you know making people who are struggling make their lives better. I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to find twenty. 21 other women and we're going to get this civil case going. No, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Like reliving these experiences is really painful. It's traumatic. And to think that someone would just be doing this for money is just kind of crazy. Uh, when you get down to like all the things you have to go through, like you have to, right. like, like we, we just saw two women come out in public and like their lives are, like ruined over forever changed forever changed right so you know 
I just think that we need to get to a point where we have to believe that he could, he absolutely could have done it. And honestly, when his, when his lawyer was like, well, actually, well, we found 18 uh, <laughs> therapists that Deshaun didn't assault. I was like, well, that that's not a very good defense because now you're not, because now people ask like, why does this guy have like 15 yeah. massage therapists? This, this is, yeah, this is a point that's really important to make is that, Pro athletes are not in the business of uh, of of bringing new people into their lives on a frequent basis. You know, like that is just not how any of this works. Uh, if you've been around pro athletes, they are incredibly picky about who gets to work on their body, who they're affiliated with, who they're sharing any uh, anything with. I mean, it's you know they they get all. There's all sorts of training about this, right? Is to to keep your circles close, to to be careful about who you affiliate with, uh, and the fact that Deshaun Watson very clearly, it seems, was scrolling through Instagram trying to find women to uh, to set up new appointments with. It's it's just very uh, outside behavior from what you would expect of a a superstar in the NFL. Um, and you know, in addition to the twenty-two, uh, the twenty-two people that are, that are filing the civil suits, I think Sports Illustrated, our friend, our friend Jenny Vrentis, found another person uh, who was not involved with those lawsuits, um, and uh, you know, also came forward and and she reviewed text messages. You know, there 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 is substance to this. There are messages with Deshaun Watson saying, I'm sorry it went that way. Uh, so there, there's a lot here. Uh, and, yeah, and, and as Chuck alluded to, like the defenses that they're coming up with are not good. Not just the fact that there were 18 more masseuses that he employed, but I think they showed, they tweeted out emails of correspondence with him and, and uh, Busby, the lawyer representing these women, and he was trying to show that they were asking for money. They were asking for $100,000. And if you read the, the email, Deshaun Watson's lawyers or representatives are cooperating with it. They're like, oh, that's too much money, but maybe like we can, we could bring that number down. Why would you participate in that discussion if this person was totally innocent? And it's just all these little red flags that add up to something sinister going on. And I, like Chuck said, I don't know how you could be defending him right now, but there are people defending him. There are NFL players defending him. A Raven safety was on Twitter defending him yesterday. And I, I just don't get it. And yeah, there's no way to talk about this situation. That's good. Other than this is horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Someone I, tweeted at me last night, like being all snarky. They were like, Hey, bro, like you haven't been tweeting about the Sean Watson very much. I'm like, why do you think that? Like, of course not. Like, <laughs> There's nothing good to say. Uh, and like anything bad is like, it's just believe the women that's going on and then just wait and see what's going on till the end of the case. But right. it's it's just, it's so bad. And the the crazy thing to me is like, People still talking about his trade value. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can we put what? Up what? <laughs> like, 
also, I, I just want to say, I don't think that's fair to Chuck anyway, because I've seen you retweet stuff. I've seen you quote tweet stuff like you have not ignored the situation. If anything, I, I felt guilty about how I have not talked about it just because I'm uncomfortable talking about it. And it's not because I think Deshaun Watson is innocent or I'm like trying to protect him. I just don't know how to talk about it. But I've seen Chuck talk about it. So I don't even know where that characterization comes from. Yeah. And another characterization that has come up that I don't get is these people claiming these women are just in it for a quick uh, money grab. This is there's nothing quick about these situations. Like this is you know how much effort, how much emotional effort goes into this for these women and it's going to be a long process. It's going to be drawn out. And like you could point to that $100,000 number. Like that's not a significant amount of money considering what you have to put into this emotionally. Right. And just and what, time. Lo- what the lawyer gets. I mean, like it's just not like these are not if a hundred because that's what uh, Watson's lawyer said. Right. Is that I think he accused Ashley Solis of just wanting money and asking for $100,000. Like that's I, you know, I, it's just uh I don't know how you look at that number and say, oh, yeah, she's they're just money. They're just grabbing for the money. Also, it's important to note that it's not just in Houston, too. Some of these accusations have come from other places. Uh, like there's there's just no like I, I don't know how you look at this and immediately default to like, oh, this is a scheme to get Deshaun Watson. It just uh, does does not feel that way at this point with given how the story has unfolded and how much work has been done by reporters to dig into it. So, uh, yeah, I, we will not be talking <laughs> the, the whole, like, well, the, they still might trade it. Like I, I, no team should be trading for Deshaun Watson at this point. Uh, it's what we should not even be talking about that part of it. Um, the NFL is investigating, you know, they have sort of their own side process, uh, that under the personal conduct policy, but I, I just can't, I can't even find a way to think about whether and to care about whether or not Deshaun Watson plays football again anytime soon. It's just yeah, not, that's completely relevant. And just right. back to, back to the quick point about uh, Stephen's point about how much time it takes. Uh, like the Antonio Brown civil case is still open. And right. That was what almost two years ago. Uh, I think two years ago, like, like 2020 kind of warped my sense of time, but I think that was like almost two years ago. So anyone expecting this to be even finished by the start of the season is, is kind of crazy. Right. Uh, all right. Let's, let's transition over and, and talk to, to Damian Woody. Uh, we primarily are, are having him on to talk about the Jets. He has a, one of his most hilarious answers in this interview. Is we asked him why uh, – it comes at the end. We asked him why he ended up sort of becoming a talking head about the Jets when he, in fact, won <laughs> Super Bowls with the Patriots. Uh, and it's, <laughs> the answer is that they need more help. Um, and so, <laughs> uh, so we sort of dig in with him on what's next for the Jets and – what he made of the Sam Darnold trade. It's a really fantastic interview. We're excited for you guys to hear it. So let's go over to that. And now we are joined by former NFL lineman and current ESPN NFL analyst, Damian Woody. What's up, Damian? Welcome to the counter. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, So Damian, if you don't follow him on Twitter, uh, is an avid Jets fan or I don't know if Jets fan is the right word, but talks about the Jets a lot. He's played for them, was drafted by the Patriots back in the day. Uh, And if you've been following the NFL this week, you know that the Jets have been 
uh, in the news with the trade, uh, with Sam Darnold being traded to the Carolina Panthers uh, for multiple picks. So we figured who better to bring on to talk about uh, than that. So I guess we can just jump right in with the first question, which is like, are you surprised at all by Sam being traded? And, and are you surprised by the timing of the trade? No, I'm not surprised by the trade at all. I think that, you know, it's just been rampant speculation that, you know, that the Jets were going to, you know, move on from Sam Darnold and kind of hit that reset button as far as, a you know, a rookie quarterback and that rookie contract is concerned. And, um, you know, me personally, I always had an affinity towards Sam. I, I believe in his talent. Um, I've always said that the organization uh, definitely failed him as far as building around him. Um, but obviously with Joe Douglas and, 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 and new coach Robert Sala, it's time to move. It was time to move in a different in a different direction. I think it's a win win for everybody involved. What do you think about the compensation that the Jets got from Carolina? You think it was enough? Too little? Because there's been some debate about like what they received on Twitter. I actually think it was more than I thought they were going to get, considering this this late stage in the game. I mean, because think about it. You, you know, it just seems like every week there was a new quarterback being moved. Another team was acquiring another veteran quarterback. So the destinations were drying up as to where you thought Sam Darnold could go. And, you know, this week I was just thinking, okay, maybe Carolina, maybe uh, Denver, maybe Pittsburgh, you know, someone maybe that could sit behind Ben for one year and and maybe get a shot. But the options have been limited. And for the Jets to basically get a six this year, a two and a four next year, I thought that was a coup for, for Joe Douglas. So, Again, kudos to, to him to, you know, get that compensation. And now the hard part is you got to hit on the draft picks. Hey, Damian. Uh, unfortunately, I'm a Panthers fan. It hasn't been too fun the last couple of years. And by the, by the other side of the token, they gave up the second and the fourth and the sixth for Sam Darnold. Can you give me a reason to be optimistic about this move working out? You said you were a Sam supporter. You thought the organization – organization failed him. Do you think he's going to have a chance to succeed in Carolina? I do. I do. I do think he, he'll have a chance to succeed. Um, there's a couple of reasons why. Number one, I think people don't understand Sam Donald is younger than Joe Burrow. Think about that. Sam Donald, who's been, who's going to go into his fourth year is younger than Joe Burrow. Who's going into his second year uh, for the Cincinnati Bengals. He's only 23 years old. I mean, he literally came into this league as like, you know, just in in terms like a baby. He's still he's still learning and growing from the game. That's one. Number two, he's going to a much better organization. I think David Tepper, the owner, is a. I think he's a really good owner. Um, Matt Rule, I am a huge fan of Matt Rule. Actually, they never surrounded him with talent. The, the best talent that he had on office with the Jets was Robbie Anderson, who's now with the Carolina Panthers. And look at the talent that they have down in Carolina and will be able to add more with the number eight pick. So I think Sam Donald has an opportunity to really set himself up really well. The Carolina Panthers will surround him. And um, I, I think that's a great spot for him. Do you think that the uh, Panthers should go with an offensive player at eight or, or stick with re- trying to rebuild that defense? I, I think, listen, um, I think I saw that they're going to exercise his fifth-year option. Right. So I think if you're the Carolina Panthers, continue to build around the quarterback. You made the trade. You gave up three assets to acquire him. Keep building. 
You know, I, I just think I don't know how the draft is going to fall. But imagine if you get a guy like Kyle Pitts, a tight end, to go along with the other weapons that they have offensively, or another offensive lineman because they, you know, they need to address the offensive line in this draft. They got to continue to build around the young quarterback, and I think uh, that's what they'll do. So let's say let's say they're, the Panthers are sitting at eight, and I don't know if this is going to happen, but Trey Lance, Justin Fields, one of those two slips to number eight. What do you do if you're Carolina? Do you think about taking that quarterback, or are you just gung-ho with Sam this year, draft, like you said, draft a, another weapon or an offensive lineman? I think I think this is what you do. I think that if one of those quarterbacks is there, and a team is looking to move up. I think you gotta, you gotta. I think you gotta entertain trading down. I think if you're Carolina, you entertain trading trading down. I don't think you need to pick a quarterback. I, I think that listen, you gave up three assets to get him, and I know he's not expensive or anything like that. Um, but I, I think that if you're going to be in on on Sam Donald, then go all the way in on him. Add more, put add more players around them to see what you really have in Sam Donald. If you were trying to sell, like someone, let's say we're talking to a Panthers fan that doesn't know much about Sam Donald, like what would you tell them to get excited about Sam coming to Carolina? Well, I think that Sam Donald is has, is one of the most naturally talented throws of the, of the football that I've seen um, in this league. I understand people, you know, talk about the turnovers and all those type of things, but anyone who's watched the Jets play, there you, you'll see <laughs> you'll see a lot of situations where you're like, wow, like the places that he's able to put the ball, not a lot of guys can do that. He's, he's mobile, he's an athlete. I mean, this was a guy that has like a linebacker's mentality at the quarterback position. He's not a small guy. He plays like he plays with a linebacker mentality. So he's ultra competitive. He's even keeled. When you play in New York, you're under you're under the pressure cooker all the time. This is a guy that's always even keeled. So I think you know for fans down in Carolina, that's exactly what you're looking for out of your quarterback. Damien, you mentioned uh, how much pressure there is playing in New York. Well, what do you think the realistic expectations would be for Zach Wilson if he, in fact, is the QB of the future for the Jets? Well, I think Zach, Zach Wilson is going to be walking into a totally different uh, scenario, situation than when Sam walked in uh, with the Jets. Because now Zach Wilson be walking into a situation where you have the GM and the coach basically married at the hip. This is not some you know shotgun marriage that the Jets have done for the past decade plus, this is literally the GM hiring the coach. They're both married at the hip and the Jets have a ton of draft capital to really surround a young quarterback. And the roster's already upgraded offensively from when, um, from when Sam Donald was on the team. So I, I just think that it's a totally different situation for Zach, uh, for Zach Wilson. How do you think that Zach will fit in a, uh... Mike LaFleur's offense. I mean, I'm not sure how much you studied of like what the 49ers would do, but just from the surface, like it seems like it would be a pretty nice fit for him walking into this offense year one. Well, I think it's a, I think it's a it's a perfect fit to be honest with you. I think for his skill set, a guy that can uh, make th- make throws on a run, um, who's accurate with the football, processes information really really well. Uh, he's an athlete. 
I think it's perfect because what the New York Jets, this, this offense on the Michael floor, they want to be a run and run play action type of offense. They want the passing game to marry with the run game. And so I think that's going to fit perfectly with what Zach Wilson like to do because he's such an accurate guy, particularly down the field. And that's what the Jets want to do this year. For, for people who don't know, when you say marry the passing game with the run game, like what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. What that means is like when you have your run game, you have certain run plays, you know, in a, in a uh, Kyle Shanahan, Michael Floor type of offense, a lot of it is, is outside zone run. And so what you're going to see is the Jets are going to run that. They're going to run that scheme, but they're also going to have – the, you know, the passing game that's going to look just like the running game. So there's going to be play action that's going to look like outside zone, but it's a play action pass. And that's how you that's how you create huge chunks in the passing game when you're when you run and your play action pass both look the same. So there's like been a discussion. It's mostly on Twitter about play action and the relationship between a run game and play action. And the, the stat nerds have kind of shown that you don't have to actually establish the run to be have an effective play-action game. You were an NFL offensive lineman. You could feel linebackers and linemen reacting to the run. What is your opinion on that on that debate? Well, I mean, the numbers do bear it out. So I'm, I'm a little old school where, you know, I always you, know, you want to control the line of scrimmage early. But we also know the best down to pass is what? First down. Mm-hmm. First down is usually the best down to pass on. And that's what you see a lot of the good teams, particularly like the Tennessee Titans. They do it a lot. You know, with who uh, you know, they do it a lot, you know, the, over the past few years with with uh with Ryan Tannehill. Play action pass on, on first down and gain huge chunks of yards. Obviously, you got you know, you got the running game going, but I think what you're gonna see from the Jets is you're gonna see a lot of play action pass. Not just on you know second or third down, you're gonna see it on fir- on first down a lot, which you hardly ever saw Adam Gates do with the New York Jets. Yeah, moving away from the the quarterback position, I think that one person that Jets fans are really excited about is Makai Becton moving forward. Like, how do you see him fitting in this offense? Uh, because you know he's he's a big dude and. Uh, yeah, I, I make. I guess people haven't quite seen him play in a heavy outside zone system all that much. And how good do you think that he can be just when it's all said and done with his career? Yeah, well, actually, he ran that type of system at, at Louisville University of Louisville. So it, this is this is going to be something that's that's it's not new to him. It's something that he ran in college, so it's perfect for him. Listen, I think I've I've said many a times about Makai Becton. I think the sky's the limit. I think he has Hall of Fame potential. Um, and it's just going to be all on him. I thought he had a really good first year. Um, he had a couple injuries, missed a couple games, and I think he, you know, clean, you know, be able to clean that up. But I think he's a perfect fit for what the Jets want to do. Uh, the Jets want to be, you know, a physical group. They want to run the foot. They're going to want to run the football this year again. You know, run play action pass. And when you have a physical guy at the point of attack like Makai Becton. That's going to help not only in the run game, but in pass protection, knowing that Zach Wilson would have the comfort of, of a franchise left tackle keeping them clean. So 
we I think everyone on here liked the uh, the Jets offseason. I thought they did good work. But one thing they didn't do is find a new center. How much is that going to hurt them, particularly in this system where it seems like center is such an important position, like Kyle Shanahan getting Alex Mack this year. He, they got him when he was in Atlanta, too. Is that something they're going to need to find before they can really get this thing going? Or do you think they can work around whatever deficiency they might have at that position this year? Well, I th- actually, I think Connor McGovern is actually, uh, you know, pretty, I think he's uh, pretty good. I, the, the main problem with the Jets last year or the past few years has been in the interior as far as the guards are concerned. Their guard play has been horrible over the past couple of years. So I think what you'll see from the Jets in the draft, again, the Jets have a ton of draft capital. They're going to attack the interior of the, of the offensive line. Um, there's, you know, the, this draft this year, um, particularly the offensive line, is deep. So the Jets will have a lot of opportunities to really get some really good, talented guys along the interior and solidify the interior of their offensive line. Yeah, I, I guess one, one, one more question about the Jets that I have for you. Uh, we saw a lot this offseason where guys were guys who signed contracts with the Jets, especially uh, Carl Lawson, I think, Justin Hardy, the special teams guy they signed. They cited Robert Saleh as the reason that they wanted to come to the Jets, like I don't, I'm not sure if you've spoken to Sally, but what about him is just you know makes people want to come here and be around him. Yeah, I haven't spoken to him yet. Um, you know, I'm sure he's pretty busy and he's had a lot going on. Um, but I'll definitely get around to speaking with him. But from everything that I've heard from talking to guys around the league and coaches, this guy he he gets it, man. He's he's a player's coach. Um, he knows how to talk. He knows how to talk to his players. He knows how to address them. He knows how to get the most out of his guys. He's flexible. Uh, we seen that with the San Francisco 49ers when he was a defensive coordinator. His scheme was flexible. Um, and I think the biggest thing that he's going to bring to the New York Jets is culture, because that's what's been missing for years with the with the New York Jets. They hasn't. The culture really hasn't changed since Rex Ryan was, was the head coach of the Jets. And that's what this Jets organization needs is someone who can be the face of this team, who can bring a culture. And I think that's what Robert Sala is going is to bring, similar to like a Pete, what Pete Carroll has done with the, with the Seattle Seahawks, because he coached under Pete Carroll um, in the early part of his career. So you played for Bill Belichick early in your career, and he's kind of – at least publicly, our perception is he's on the other end of that spectrum where he's not necessarily a rah-rah guy. I'm wondering, as a player, does the type of coach you want change throughout your career? Like, maybe you want that rah-rah guy when you first start out, and maybe you want more of a X's, X's and O's guy or a guy that's going to be able to give you information that helps you be a player. Is How does that change throughout your career? Well, I, I'll tell you one thing. For me, I, I was fortunate. I, I I experienced both both ends of it. Mm-hmm. My rookie year in New England, Pete Carroll was actually my coach. He drafted me in New England, and so I got I got to taste firsthand of, of the culture with Pete Carroll, which is great. It's won Super Bowls, and then I got a taste with Coach Belichick, who's on the other end of the spectrum, and that was great. And that won Super Bowls. So, um, you know, for me. I know during my playing my playing days, um, 
I, I've always said I'm thankful that I kind of started in my career with Coach Belichick because he was tough. He was hard-nosed. Um, but he taught me so much about the game of football. And he laid that foundation for me for the rest of my career. And then I ended up with Rex Ryan, who was just perfect because I already knew how to play the game of football. I already knew how to be a pro and take care of myself. Rex Ryan was a guy that, like, you guys know Rex Ryan, just watch him. I mean, Rex Ryan is a is a braggadocious, like, he doesn't look at himself as a head coach. He looks at himself as just one of the guys. And it was perfect. And we had a lot of success in New York um, during my playing career under Rex. So I like both styles. It's both styles at work, and we'll see how it does in New York. Uh, we can move on to uh, a couple of fan questions. I think we, the first one is uh, from one of the million Jets fans that follows me. Uh, it's from Gary V, at Gary the New Yorker on Twitter. Do you think this reset with Wilson or whoever, in quotes, uh, will be different than what the Jets did with Darnold and why or why not? I do. I do. I do think it'll, it'll be different. And, 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 you know, just like I said earlier, I think the organization is on the same page. Unlike when, when, when Donald, Sam Donald first came, you had the arranged marriage. This time around, you had the GM and, and Joe Douglas hired the head coach. So they're married at the hip. The Jets also have a, they got a ton of cap space and a ton of draft capital. So they can really build around a quarterback. And to me, those are the things that, that separate this time around from when Sam Donald came with the Jets. Uh, next question from uh, Jason Hewitt at Jason Hewitt 50 on Twitter. What was your quote unquote, welcome to the NFL moment? <laughs> oh man. I remember my first training camp and um, I was going up against a guy, you know, I'm a first round pick, number one pick for the new England Patriots. I'm going against a guy. His name is Henry Thomas. Um, and just to give you a background, Henry Thomas, Henry Thomas was one of the best nose tackles in the history of the game. I mean, this was a guy who was like 270 pounds and had a, and had like 100 sacks or close to 100 sacks. And he mentored uh, he mentored a bunch of guys, especially with the Minnesota Vikings um, uh, during that time. And I remember our first practice, um, man, he literally with one hand, I'm three, I was 335 at the time. He literally with one hand lifted me off the ground and threw me to the ground. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, that's, that's it never happened, happened to me before. And that was my welcome to the welcome to the NFL moment. But the cool <laughs> thing was he taught me how to play the game. He helped me every day in practice. And uh, I'm forever indebted to Henry Thomas. Uh, going, on, going off the, the your time with the Patriots, this is my own fan question. I re- I was I was younger, but I remember there being talk about in between the AFC Championship game and that Super Bowl against the Rams. There was talk about whether who was going to start at quarterback, Bledsoe or Brady. You being in the locker room, was there ever a sense that it was going to be Bledsoe, or did you guys know it was going to be Brady the whole time? We knew we knew it was going to be Brady. I mean, listen, it, you know, we had um, you know we had time between, but we knew we knew you know Tom was was uh, was on the mend. He was going to heal up and. And anyone that knows Coach Belichick knows that he's not going to devolve any, you know, he's not going to give away any information that's going to tip anybody off. And and, uh, we just kept things close to the vest. And one thing about the New England culture, if it's not about your injury, you're not going to talk about injuries, period. Not your own. And and 
and definitely not someone else's. If if Mo Lewis doesn't hit Bledsoe like that, do you guys still win the Super Bowl? Like, do you think you guys had enough around the quarterback position? <laughs> Mo Lewis changed the organization, changed two organizations. He changed Drew Bledsoe's kidney too. <laughs> I don't know if there ever is a dynasty in New England. Uh, <laughs> uh, this next question is from uh, JP Acosta on Twitter at Acosta32 underscore JP. Who is your favorite defensive lineman not on your own team to play against in the NFL? Wow, man. I went, I went against some really, really good guys, man. Really good guys. Um, I would probably say Man, Warren Sapp, man. Man, Warren Sapp was Warren Sapp was a beast. I mean, this dude was like six foot, three hundred pounds, and was about the quickest guy I've ever gone against, man. And man, he would let you know about it all day too. So I to me, for me, I would have to say Warren Sapp. Uh, this question, one of our, our second last question from our buddy Deontay Lee at PFF underscore D Lee on Twitter. <laughs> Which city was more fun for you during Super Bowl week? New Orleans or Houston? Or can you not say why? <laughs> oh, it was, oh, well, listen, we were on lockdown both times, but I would have to say New Orleans. New Orleans was, New Orleans was crazy. I can't even get into all the stories and stuff like that. But New Orleans, I, I would I would give New Orleans the edge. New, they they know how to do it right in New Orleans. <laughs> all right, and uh, the last question is uh, from me. Uh, you won two Super Bowls with the Patriots, but it seems like on Twitter all you really talk about is the Jets. Why do you seem to identify more with the Jets when you had more you know success? I, I guess like team success in New England. <laughs> Because I look at it as New England, what, what does New England need me to do? Like, <laughs> they've won six Super Bowls. Like, they've been to nine. Like, like, there's, like I, I look at myself as, listen, they just need all the help they can get. I try to, Jet fans seem to understand where I'm coming from when I do my vents and all those type of things. It's almost therapeutic to Jets fans. So, um, but, but, but in all seriousness, like, I really have a lot of respect for both organizations uh, for different reasons. And I just think because I live in the New York tri-state area that I talk about the Jets more than I talk about the Patriots because I watch the Jets more. Are, yeah. are we supposed – I'm taking from that that the Lions are just a lost cause and you're just not going to waste your time with that. Yeah, like, I don't even – like that, <laughs> that whole that, – that four years doesn't even get discussed. Like, <laughs> Like that. <laughs> was was Dan Orlovsky on your team? Yeah, then, yeah, yep, yep. I yep, Dan, Dan Orlovsky. Um, I was I was uh teammates with Dan Campbell, the head coach there now. Like, yeah, it was it was bad, man. It, it, <laughs> it was bad. It was bad. All right, it, well, it, well, it was it was traumatic. One last thing before you go. The Dan Campbell quotes that we saw at the presser. Personally, I I thought that people were kind of making too big a deal about that. But was he like that in real life? Like as a player, when you guys were around him, was he talking like that too? Yeah, like that's totally him. So like when I heard it, I'm like, that's nothing, nothing new, nothing crazy. That's that was that's Dan Campbell. Like he's he's like a like Dan is like a totally good dude. Like uh, he's all about ball, all all the time. So. 
Yeah, I think. Listen, I think as much as as much as people bash like the comments and and the quirkiness of the of the comments, I think he's put together a hell of a staff. Yeah, I, I think he. I think he'll do all right in Detroit. Yeah, I think that's one thing that like people kind of flipped on like at first when he had the press conference everyone was laughing about the comment the biting the kneecaps comment but then he started making hires and he was hiring black coordinators too which i think everyone commended and some of his other comments just like i think people have done a 180 on him and now i'm kind of excited to see what he does with this lions team do you think he has a chance of turning doing the impossible and turning the lions into a consistent winner i think he does man he got i think he has a pedigree he kind of you know, he, he, you know, learned his chops under, under Parcells um, with the Dallas Cowboys. And then Sean Payton, he spent all the time with Sean Payton down there in New Orleans. So he has a pedigree. I think he's surrounded himself some, with some really good people, some smart people. Um, I, I could totally see it happening. All right. Uh, we appreciate the time. Uh, before we let you out of here, is, it, is there anything that you're working on or stuff that you're on that you want to let people know about? Man, I, listen, I'm just, I'm all about this draft right now. I'm, I'm just excited, you know, to see what's going to happen with the draft. And, you know, for anybody who want to check me out uh, on, on social media, uh, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, it's at Damian Woody. And uh, check me out, uh, check me out on, on ESPN on the various pa- platforms. All right. Appreciate it, Woody. We'll catch up with you later. Thank you. Right, Thank you. All right, Stephen, you were incredibly polite in that conversation as you were talking to Damian Woody about uh, your your thoughts of whether or not there's any chance for Sam Darnold to resurrect his career with the Panthers. Uh, and Damian, he's, he's got some optimism, man. He feels he feels good about it. Uh, were you persuaded at all by what you heard there? Uh, no. no, obviously not. <laughs> I, uh, I get you had, you had dug in on a lot of numbers though beforehand. So uh, to be fair, like you, you really studied this problem. Damian Woody is probably looking at Sam Darnold like the person and hoping that he uh, can can have this. But you have really looked at what Darnold, the quarterback, has done on the football field. So yeah, and I think and I think Damian is. Yeah, like you said, the person, I think he probably has a personal attachment. He's probably met Sam before. He's probably talked to him before. Like, I don't have any of those connections. But it's just, like, I legitimately tried to find some sliver of optimism about this trade when I wrote this this blog about Sam Darnold and whether the Panthers can fix him. And, like, you just can't find it other than those those highlights that he gives you once every month. And... The thing is, when you look at the things he's supposedly good at, and I really think the perception of who Sam Darnold is, is so far off from what he actually is, if you watch him on a snap-to-snap basis. Like, he's got this reputation as a gunslinger because he turns the ball over a lot, but if you watch him play within structure, he's really conservative. Like, he checks the ball down a lot. And he's really only good at those shorter passes, like, accuracy-wise. I cite it pro football focus and it shows that he is way below average at every other type of throw but if you throw in like behind the line of scrimmage throws like screen passes swing passes he's he's accurate as hell on those right and i think that's why adam gase's offense looked as as conservative as it did now i'm not taking any fault away from adam gase he's a bad coach his offense is not great he did not help sam darnold develop at all 
But it goes both ways. Like Sam Darnold on his own was bad. And that's what's so hard to reconcile as a Panthers fan who's trying to be optimistic about this team. It's really hard to do it because there's no evidence. It's just a leap of faith. Right. I mean, the fact that you found that, like, essentially what you did was look at the numbers and you found that Joe Flacco executed the offense better than uh, than Sam Darnold did. Like, that's 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 the bit of evidence for me that was, like, erased all – because like every every team who gets a new player like wants to think that that player can be healed and can become the best version of themselves, and that there was something holding them back. And like if you if you can't erase that thought, like I'm sure that that's how Colts fans are feeling about Carson Wentz right now. They're just like sure that the best version of Carson Wentz is going to be the permanent indie version of Carson Wentz, and like uh, whatever they're doing to justify that. But like I don't know how Panthers fans can still feel that way after what you found and wrote about uh, what what he, what he actually happened on the football field. <laughs> and, and Chuck can speak to this because he actually watched these games more, right, like, right. more closely than I did having covered the team. But like, it wasn't just that Flacco performed better statistically. He was more exciting on a nice. down-to-down basis because he was airing the ball out. Like He had like the highest average depth of target in the league. And Sam Darnold was on the other end of the spectrum. Like, Panthers fans got tired of check down Teddy Bridgewater, but their A dots are basically the same. They're both, they both throw check downs at the same rate. Like, they're the same player, except for Darnold likes to get out of structure way more. The only problem is he's not actually good when he gets out of structure. Like, yes, you get those plays like against the 49ers in garbage time where he makes an amazing throw, but you also get the dumb interceptions. And he was actually the worst quarterback in the league by EPA outside of the pocket. So if that's the thing you're holding on to that, you can't even hold on to that part of his game. Yeah. It, it's literally just the thing. Like I was talking to somebody a couple of days ago, one of my friends that covers the Panthers. And I was like, yo, if you take Sam Donald's 10 best throws from his career, and you <laughs> just look at those, you'll be like, Oh my God, we just found Patrick Mahomes 2.0. Right. But dude, this place happened like once, like every three games or something like that. Like, it's not like these just like, obviously, like people, people, the, the, throw, the throw that gets to me all the time. And I was at this game sitting there with my mask on coronavirus at a Jets game. Oh, God. <laughs> the throw where the throw was the 49ers when Darnold like rolled to his left and then fired back. And it was just like a, a perfect dime uh, to the middle of the field. Uh, to Braxton Barrios, I think, for a touchdown to cut the lead from thirty-one to two to thirty-one to nine or something like that. I'm like, okay, it's like we got a we got a crazy throw, but you know, it took us a lot of slop to even get to this point where, uh, you know, like we're still down by like three touchdowns in the fourth quarter by the time it happens. Like the reason that you're in that spot, like a lot of it has to do with Sam at the same time. So, right. uh, yeah, like he's 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 really physically talented. Uh, but like Steven said, like Joe Flacco was more efficient in this offense. And, you know, Jets fans seem to have run with this idea that Adam Gase was running more explosive plays with Joe Flacco's in the offense. But I don't think that's true. <laughs> I just think that that Joe was just attacking windows that Sam wasn't. I think that Sam Sam had kind of got to this point where it's like, you know, like if you fail enough at something, you're just not going to want to try it that very that that much very often. So he, uh, like he he became more and more conservative after they, as the years went along. And like quite frankly, last year was by far the worst season that he's had in the league, which is saying something because he wasn't exactly lighting things up uh, prior to this season. So 
uh, you know, like the Sam Darnold proponents will say, well, look at that four game stretch to close the rookie season. And the people, everyone else will be like, well, look at the rest of the sample size. Like, <laughs> right. you know, it, I, I get why if you're a Panthers fan, you'll be wanting to talk yourself into this. But it's just kind of crazy to me that based on the reporting, the Panthers are just handing him this job. And I just don't understand the rationale for that. Like, especially you know, we've talked we've talked about like why are the Panthers rushing so much to find this guy? Like, if you had just sat out, if you basically just sat out the twenty twenty season, you could be walking into, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, uh, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, if you had wanted to, without needing to trade up. And instead, you know, you you panicked and signed Teddy, Petty, uh, Teddy Bridgewater when you found out he wasn't that good. You panicked and traded for Sam Darnold, and I figure. Around this time next year, we're going to have the same conversation, right. except they don't have a second and a fourth next year. It's like go up and get whatever quarterback emerges in the draft next year. So, you know, I, 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 I think that Panthers fans are optimistic because they have to be, and that's <laughs> right. I, Stephen, and I were talking so much about uh, this last night that. Like people, it's a it's a great sports cliche that you you know that consistency is key, right? Like you have to be consistent, you have to 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 play at the same level all the time. But like no one seems to really believe or understand that, uh, you know. So that, like there are these individual throws that Darnold makes, and people get excited about it, or individual games. You know, he had this great game against Dallas in 2019 where he completed 71 percent of his passes for 338 yards, and like people want to point at that, but he was literally 11 for 32 the next week uh, for 86 yards. And like, of course, Sam Darnold can do great, cool things on a football field. He was uh, he was a top pick. Like he's an amazing athlete, but he has shown no ability to do it with any consistency. And that's a huge problem for the Panthers because like he's also not going to be bad enough for them to be bad. Right. Like they're just going to be middling again. Uh, yeah, and that's that's not how to rebuild. And he's he's just he's not better than Teddy Bridgewater. As sad <laughs> as that is to say, he's never been better than him. The only thing that he does better are those those plays that we're talking about that happen once every month. And there's nothing sustainable about him. Like I was watching. I'm I'm weird. And I went to the Panthers subreddit and my <laughs> the story was on there. Zero upvotes, by the way. Zero points. <laughs> A lot of people not not fans of me in that in that subreddit. But like I clicked on this other this all twenty two breakdown on YouTube, and it, it had all the upvotes. So I was already bitter going in. First play, guess what the first play was that they broke down on all twenty two? That goddamn play against the Forty ers Like every time someone talks about Sam Darnold and tries to hype him up, that's the play they point to. And like that play doesn't matter. It's never going to happen again. Like why? Why do we care that he did that play? It's a one-off play. I could find every quarterback in the league making a similar play, and no one's like you could find Mitchell Trubisky making a crazy play like that, right? And no yeah. one's hyped about Mitchell Trubisky because he's become a meme. But for whatever reason, I, well, actually, I know the reason. It's Adam Gase and his reputation. And the thing about Gase is, like, two years ago, no one was considering him like this quarterback killer who just runs the worst offense of all time he never had that reputation before and part of the reason he has it now is because sam darnold is not only bad but he never he he didn't stay healthy so then we saw luke falk playing a lot and of course your offense is going to look worse when luke falk playing he should have never been in the nfl so 
I don't, I don't know. There's yeah. no reason to think he's good other than the fact that he was picked third overall. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's funny you bring that up because I was listening to uh, Dan Levitard and he brought this point. He he he, I guess he uh, he said in a way that I have been failing to say for a couple of years now. But when you talk about you, you ask someone, you ask a Jets fan specifically, like what what about Sam Darnold should excite Panthers fans. It's never about Sam Darnold. It's about, oh, you know, Adam Gase wasn't good enough. Oh, they didn't have an offensive lineman until Makai right. Beckham was there. Oh, they didn't have any weapons. Oh, uh, you know, the defense wasn't putting them in great situations. Like, it's always about everybody else around Sam Darnold except Sam Darnold himself. Like, and to me, that's a really bad sign because I feel like we've done this with quarterbacks all the time. Like, I mean, I've, I saw the same uh, – the same arguments for the same arguments for Sam Donald like that for the years while I was covering the Jets. And it's just like, you know, at some point you have to just come away with the realization. If you're just if you're making all these excuses for literally every single person on the team, except for Sam, like at some point, some of the blame has to come back on him in his play. And, you know, maybe it works out because he's still like uh, 12 years old pretty much. Uh, and <laughs> he's going to be walking into he like, he's definitely gonna be walking into a, a more talented offense than he was before. Like Robbie Anderson as your second best receiver is better than your best receiver. As we saw uh, this year in Carolina, and maybe they can even add someone like Kyle Pitts at number eight in the draft, depending on how the draft falls. So uh, maybe it can be better, but still like you should definitely be a little nervous if you're a Panthers fan. It, yeah. And that's really one of the, the issues I have with it is because he's almost certainly going to be better. And if he is better, if he's like league average in that offense, which I think is possible mm-hmm. with Joe Brady calling plays, if Joe Brady is the guy we think he is, and he's average, like there's going to be this false sense of who he is, and they're going to commit to him long term, and then they're going to be stuck with this average, not even average quarterback, below average quarterback who's being propped up by a supporting cast. And that's just going to set the team back even more than it already is. Like, this is year two of Matt Rule, and they still haven't re- rebuilt. There's no rebuild going on right now. <laughs> there's so that's many, why he was brought in. There's so many timelines, like, clashing here. Like, I, I want to say that one thing I think is that if – so, uh, Damien actually mentioned this, that uh, Joe Burrow is older than uh, Darnold. Uh, if – if Darnold had been on that LSU team with Joe Brady, uh, he would have looked like Trevor Lawrence, like right, like the hype would have been unimaginable because mm-hmm. that team he would have been better than Joe Burrow. It, like it would have been probably. I mean, also I, Joe Burrow is like older than all of us, so that doesn't really count. <laughs> <laughs> on now, uh, let's transition to this Joe Burrow. I mean, this discussion is sort of part of of what we're hinting at now. It's like this idea of how best to. to support and surround uh, a, a quarterback but this popped up and charles you wrote about this this week you you sort of took a, a direct look at what the bengals could do with the number five pick uh you know take jamar chase who everyone thinks seems to be emerging as the top wide receiver or panay suel the uh presumed top left tackle uh, or trade down. Uh, but I want to talk sort of generally about this idea of what would help Joe Burrow more, uh, somebody to protect him or somebody to catch the football. See, I kind of think that's just in a vacuum. I think that someone to protect him is a little bit more important just because 
like we all saw the way he liked to play at LSU and even his first year in the NFL. Like he's someone who's going to like to try to extend plays and take chances down the field uh, and, and try to generate big plays. And, you know, I think if you're if you're someone that's going to try to play a little offbeat, I think the offensive line talent might be a little bit more important than wide receivers talent. Like obviously, like getting someone like Jamar Chase is obviously going to help your offense. Duh. No, no shit. Like that's that's going to be something that is beneficial for your team. But I think that one aspect with the Sewell pick that people are kind of underrating is, you know, it's not just like putting Sewell at left tackle. Like you also have a chance to improve not only just based on the investments that they've made. Like you have a chance to improve right tackle with Jonah Williams or Riley Reef, and then one of those guys can play guard. Like and it's not an it's not a, a foregone conclusion that they would be successful at those different positions, but you know, it's better than what they've been doing for the past few years, which is basically nothing. I mean, they've trotted out Bobby Hart uh <laughs> for a long time and you know when he's not tweeting about QAnon conspiracy theory, he's letting <laughs> Joe Burrow get sacked. You know, like it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's like kind of one of those moves that benefits multiple spots in one, in one picks, which is kind of why I like the Sewell pick. And if they want to be a team that plays a lot of empty uh, to suit Joe Burrow's strength and his comfortability there, you need better offensive line play uh, than they currently have. And I also, I, I don't think their, their receiver situation is so, drastically bad that they need to add like a super alpha uh right now i think that that's something you can add in the in the second or even third round as you start to build build out the rest of this roster because uh tyler boyd like i think he's one of the better slot receivers in the league uh they just invest in t higgins and i i think that he has a promising future as well maybe you add another guy uh, early day two to kind of fill that room out after you lose AJ Green to the Cardinals. But uh, just when I think about Joe Burrow's play style, uh, I think that offensive tackle makes the most sense uh, for where they should go. And also, like, Penny Sewell is just an uh, unbelievable draft prospect. I mean, yeah. he showed up at his pro day at Oregon uh, weighing 331 pounds, and he looked like he was like 290, and the weight that he was moving, it was, it was just it, it, it's crazy. So, I mean, even maybe he he could play right tackle too if Jonah Williams doesn't feel comfortable sliding over there. Like he has the size and the power to do that. So, uh, Sewell's Sewell will be my pick. Sewell will be my pick if we just stayed there. But as I kind of wrote it and I started thinking about the ideas of what they could do, honestly, trading down and like still staying within like the top 10, 11 picks became something that was like really intriguing to me because if you're a team like the Bengals and you've decided that, you know, Joe Burrow is going to be our guy. We saw enough that we don't really feel compelled to stay in this rookie quarterback market uh, moving forward, even coming off injury. You know, you're going to be in a situation where it's, you know, quarterbacks are guaranteed to come off the board for the first three picks. And then depending on what Atlanta does, it's probably going to be four quarterbacks. You know, you can trade down a little bit and still have your pick of the litter, basically, of all the elite non-quarterback options, even late in the first, even late in the top 10. I mean, and that's something that is a little bit unusual about this year. And I think that, you know, if you're a team that has a quarterback situation figured out, you should be really trying to trade down and trying to get uh, just a couple more picks because you're still going to have your chance that, you know, even if they trade down, like, let's say they, for the example I brought up was, let's say they trade down with the Broncos to nine. Uh, like there's still a possibility where you could still have your pick of like Kyle Pitts, like Jamar Chase theoretically could still be on the board. Devonta Smith, even cornerbacks like Patrick Sertain uh, or JC Horn. Like there's a lot of options that you can go through 
at nine just because there can be so many quarterbacks that come off the board to start the draft. One thing, one thing I don't get it. If you're drafting a pass catcher, why is Chase the default answer? Like, why aren't you considering Smith? And even more so, why aren't you considering Kyle Pitts? Like, if I'm drafting a pass catcher to help out my quarterback, that's the guy I'm drafting yeah, Right, is Kyle Pitts because he's the best – I think he's the best player in the draft. But, uh, I think it's just like the, you know, lazy bro play with Chase Alice used though. That's probably – that's <laughs> probably his everything. But – and I think – this question about like what helps a quarterback more, a receiver who can get open quicker, which I just think is a dumb concept in and of itself, because receivers run routes. They like you're not going to get open quicker on a post route, really, to help four, out your quarterback. Four two to four four is not like <laughs> you're not really adding that much, right? And like the quarterback is is throwing on time, so right. it doesn't really matter if you get open quicker. You're gonna the quarterback's going to throw the ball when he's going to throw the ball, but. It just is a simplistic view of football that I don't think is realistic. Like a good offensive line can help receivers get open because you can keep five in to protect. You can get all five eligibles out there, and that makes it easier to stretch the defense. Like if you're playing zone, you need that running back in the flat to create a high low and put a defender in conflict. Yeah. You can't do that more often when your offensive line stinks and you need to keep that running back or that tight end into help. And I think that's something that people miss when they're talking about how to help a quarterback get rid of the ball. And specifically with Joe Burrow, his his skill set or his, his calling card is his processing ability. Like, I can go from one to two to three and find an open receiver. That's why I don't think needing that alpha dog receiver is really imperative. Because if that first receiver isn't open, he can he has the ability to find number two, find number three. Someone's going to get open. The defense can't guard everyone. And the only way he's going to have the time to do that is if he has a good offensive line. Agree. We've solved it. We did it, yeah, guys. It's, it's, it's we over. figured it out. We figured it out for Cincinnati. I hope they're listening. Yeah, hire us. I mean, I, we might we fire might, Zach Taylor. I was about to say you might be more recognizable than Zach Taylor, to be honest with you. <laughs> oh man! All right, so we're uh, we're starting to dig in on some draft stuff next week, right? Is it is it, uh, is it yeah. time? Is yeah, it draft I'm, season. I'm ready. Like I've actually watched. Oh, I've, I've watched most players that I've watched since like 2017. So I'm actually ready to kind of get into the discourse for a couple of weeks and then love it. Fake, fake being an insider and hop out as soon as this <laughs> be very second the draft ends. I'll be out. Actually, honestly, I'll probably be out like that, like halfway through round. Two. <laughs> I can't wait to disassociate myself from all my pre-draft takes. Like I, like I, I do every year. Uh, you and you and a bunch of GMs as well. So I had so Josh Rosen. I had Josh Rosen QB one in, in 2018. All right. I mean, it's tough, man. It's tough. It's <laughs> but not... to be fair to me, I didn't have all 22. So that's my only draft takes from 2019 on count. Correct. Correct. All right. So we'll start digging in on uh, players at certain positions next week. I think we were probably going to look at wide receivers first so we'll, yep. we'll continue a little bit more of this discourse uh so look forward to that catch us over at for the win ftw.usa.com and on twitter at the steven ruiz at Forverts and at chris corman love to chat with you there talk some football uh and we will catch up with you next week take care the counter an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. 